0: This episode is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club, and I know I know another ad, right? But I personally use Dollar Shave Club all the time, and have been using them for years. Uh, I remembered I would always buy the disposable razors, and I would—they wouldn't last. They would cut you, and then when you would get the more expensive ones, they—they they were just really expensive, and you had to keep buying them until I came across Dollar Shave Club. Then you know it changed the game forever with razors, and now they offer way more than just razor, they offer skincare products, hair care products, hair stuff, gel, pomade you name it, they offer a whole variety of different products i mean you don't believe me go give them a try and then you'll love them click the link in each episode and or our bio and you'll love them you're going to be helping the podcast or if you want to help the podcast too if you're if you go over to anchor fm there's a donation button you can sign up donate every month uh thank you guys to the people who have signed up and continue to donate i uh, truly appreciate it so click the link go check out dollar shape club and let's get into your episode
1: and the five
0: All right,
1: we're
0: live. Welcome back to Mescla Moguls. It's your boy, the one with the scarred face. Your boy, Scarface. And I just want to let you guys know that we did just drop a bunch of new merch. So, you know, go check the description down below. Uh, I have it linked on there. If And also, if you use code MOM25, you'll be able to save 25% off. So go get that before I end the discount. And then you got to pay full price. Anyways, I'm, I'm excited to do this because uh, we were talking over Facebook for a little bit. And he was telling me about her. you know, I like to bring out people's stories, you know, the interesting stories, especially uh, I know he mentioned it earlier in the conversation that he was an immigrant. So that that also helps, you know, it motivates me, motivates other people and the ones that that feel like they can't really do anything. uh, It also motivates them to be like, you know, there's there's options for, you know, for immigrants as well. So I have Jaime Hernandez. Right. Uh, Fernandez Fernandez my bad sorry yeah uh,
2: right.
0: <laughs> so i I know you like uh we were talking on I posted on entrepreneurs of idaho right and then yeah. uh you you reached out saying that you know like this is my story and I was like that's that's really cool you know what I mean like uh I was really intrigued by what you 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 said on there you're an immigrant started your own meat company and now you have your own financial firm and you know and I thought you know let's bring them on the podcast you know people need to hear this t- type of stuff so uh, you know welcome to the podcast thanks for being on
2: oh thank you so much Edgar. I really appreciate it man.
0: so I want people to get to know you so are you where where were you born
2: so I was I was born in, in uh, Northern California my mom and dad immigrated from Spain uh, my dad came first in, in 1969 he was a he was a cowboy in a, in a Bordoghe up in uh, Washington State uh, Idaho, Montana, then he came down to California. Um, he went back to Spain, met my mom, and then she came out in nineteen like seventy five, nineteen seventy six. Um, I was born here, then we moved back. So I lived in Spain for a little bit um, in the Basque Country as a as a child, and then we came back to California. So, uh, I, you know, gr- grew up, you know, within kind of interestingly because I grew up in California with Spanish parents, but I would say like the predominant culture, you know, along with the American culture was the Latino, um, Mexican culture. So I grew up around a lot of Mexicanos. Um, and so I kind of grew up in a way where I was, it was a blend of like these three different kind of cultures going on at once. So, you know, in my house, you know, growing up, right, it was, you know, it, it was our, our part of Spain, so We're from Leon. So I grew up with a lot of, you know, Leonist traditions. Um, you know, group speaking Spanish all the time. You know, in our house, uh, but then I go to school, and you know, you're going to school, you know, with uh, you know American kids and Mexicanos. and but I spent a lot of time, you know, uh, you know, within those two. So I, I feel like my my upbringing was like a, a blend of three kind of different cultures, you know, at once, mm. and it was, you know, it was really. You know, it, it helped shape me a lot because, you know, you grow up with immigrant parents, you get that one perspective, right? You grow up in an American culture, American society, you know, that has, you, you learn, like, the American value system. That's another influence. And then, you know, uh, going to school with and then working with, you know, the, you know, the, the Mexican population that we had. I mean, I, you know, I did labor. I labored with them, you know, so there was, I'm like, one summer. You know, my dad put me to work, and I worked for a farmer, and I was out, you know, in the fields every day. You know, whether it's driving a tractor, cutting weeds, uh, harvesting. You know, and then when I was in college, I'd come home, and I worked in a tomato mill, and you know, working with you know a lot of Mexicanos. So, I that was a big influence as well. That culture of you know seeing you know these immigrants come. To the United States, like my parents did, right? It was it was the same, and they were, you know, working and doing all the same things that my parents wanted to do, and you know, there was a lot of, I think, commonalities. You know, being able to speak Spanish, uh, you know, the Catholicism, the sharing some holidays and things like that. So um, that for me, you know, was also hugely, you know, influential. So, yeah, I'm 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 am I'm an immigrant. I'm a child of immigrants. Um, and I grew up around mm-hmm. immigrants as well, so it was it was a really you know interesting way to grow up, definitely. So,
0: so how old were you when you came over here? You said
2: I was probably like about I was about a year old. I was I was pretty young okay, when, so when you know, we came back.
0: And so you weren't really like too familiar with uh, with Spain
2: no, at that age, no. But you know my my parents always made it a point for us to go back, mm-hmm. so we would go back every couple of years. Um, you know, in the summer. So I would spend, you know, like a month or six weeks, what have you, you know, with our family. Um, and I got family like all over the north of Spain. So I had a lot of opportunities to go and see the different cities, you know, where my where my relatives were living and, and really get to know the, you know, the culture, um, get to know the traditions of, of, you know, of you know, my 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 family. Um so I mean I definitely feel connected to it. You know, because all my relatives are still there. Like we're the only ones here. I'm the only one in the history of our family, you know, that was born, um, you know, outside of Spain. You know, up until you know my my children were born here. But yeah, so I I mean, I definitely feel a lot of connection to it. My parents always made it a point for me to stay connected. You know, that was that was a big thing for them. You know, um, keeping up the you know keeping up Spanish. Uh, you know, communicating with the family, you know, uh, going back and visiting and just being as much a part of, 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 you know, our family's life as possible.
1: What,
0: what were some of the major differences that you would see? Like, you know, you're living in California, you go to Spain, you know, is it is it yeah. usually different or is it, you know?
2: It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's different in the sense of, so, you know, Spain is a really interesting country because it's, it's like, it's several different, countries in a sense in one bigger country. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, for example, geographically, like the North and the South are very different, you know, um, where we're from in the North, for example, it's chilly, there's mountains. Um, you know, we, we, it's, it's very, you know, it's agricultural based. Um, it's very, it's very old. Uh, you go to the South, it's, it's different because you know, the South really have that, you know, North African, you um, you know, Moorish Muslim influence for like 700 years. So, you know, the art and the architecture and the food and the way they speak Spanish is different than how we speak Spanish, just as an example. Then you have the Basque country, which is its own like autonomous, you know, nation and they speak Euskera and Euskera is nothing like Spanish, right? You go to uh, Catalonia, Catalonia is its own autonomous nation. They speak Catalan and Catalan. You can kind of understand it because it's a mix of Spanish and French, almost. That's kind of what it feels like. Um, but again, I mean, it's 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 a different place. It's it's different because each province you go into is very proud of its own identity. Mm-hmm. You know, and most people in Spain, I would think, I think still do this, but they identify from the province that they're from, right? So it's you know, yo soy leones, yo soy asturiana, yo soy yo soy gallego you know, yo soy madrileno, you know, they they identify with that first before saying yo soy español. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's that's a big that's a big thing. Like where your roots are from, like where your family's from, like where your pueblo, right? Like where the, your pueblo is, meaning like where your grandparents are from, that's that's big. And then the food is different wherever you go. I mean that's what the kind of a, that's the cool thing about the country, right? Like it's not like not everyone's eating you know the same. You know the the same cuisine, mm-hmm. right? Like it's it's very different. Like you know, if you're in in Galicia, for example, you know pulpo y patatas. You know that's that's a big deal. If you're in my part of Spain. You know, uh, you're having you know chorizo. You're having uh, you know alubias. You're having you know stews. That's really big. You know, you go to the south. You know, it's gazpacho. It's you know, it's, so it's it's just, it's it's really cool how, you know, you can go from, from province to province to province, it's going to feel completely different in a, a lot of ways, but you're in the same quote country, right? And that's, and that's the thing, for example, but, you know, contrast that to California, you know, there's slight differences between Northern and Southern California, but you can get the same thing in Northern California as you can in Southern California, mm-hmm. right? Like it's like, that's, that's basically the same. Um, You know, there's no language difference. I mean, you know, everyone uses the same type of, you know, English and whatnot. Um, But yeah, Spain is, and that's why I feel like Spain is kind of that unique country in in Western Europe because of that. Because we're, it's so different geographically. It's so different language. We have four official languages in Spain. You know, you have Castellano, which is what everyone, you have the national language, it's Spanish. Then you have Gallego, Euskera, and Catalan. And then within that, you've got a variety of different dialects, right? Like different variations of that. So, like, even in, you were my, I have a grandfather who's was from Asturias. When Asturias, they speak Bable. And Bable is different from Castellano, and it's a little different from Gallego. It's its own little thing. So, that's something I always do about, about Spain. It's like, there's just these pockets, right, where, where it's different. And I always appreciated that because it, it opened my mind up to, to, you know, learning about culture and history and tradition and language and how things. So I think that's probably why I I was so into history, you know, growing up, you know, I I went to, I I studied it in college. I studied it in graduate school. Um, I think I owe a lot of that to the way I was exposed to to Spain. And then later on, you know, different parts of Europe, that really like, you know, opened my eyes like, wow, like, you know, I can travel this country from east to west, and it's completely different. Mm. You know, from where I started to where I ended. So, yeah, that that was, I would say, like that's that's something that was the most you know prominently you know different between you know Spain and and, and California. So it's like it's genuinely different over there. It is, it is a very different place.
0: So, what about uh, you said you you grew up uh, you know with mexicanos and all throughout mm-hmm. uh, you know your childhood, so. Cause I know Spain, their, their, their accent is a little different. Their Spanish is different than, right. uh, than a Mexican. Right. Uh, right. did you grow up learning the, the the Mexican tendencies, like saying stuff like that? And then your parents would be like, what did, what did you just say? Or like things like that, that. that... Well,
2: yeah. So you know, you know what was cool because my, my parents worked with the Kitanos like the entire time. So my, my parents worked for the local school district. My mother was, um, she was the like the secretary clerk at the elementary school and she did all the translation for the district so she interacted with mexicanos all the time like that was a big part of her job was like you know a mexican family would come in they want to enroll their child in school you know so she was that first person that they would that they would talk to right you know Senora Fernandez, that would be like the first person they would they would they would talk to my father you know, from the moment that he came to the to California in 1972, you know, he was working around, you know, Mexicanos as well. And then, you know, the various jobs that he did before he uh, also ended up working in the, in the school district. So I think what was what my parents did and what they taught me was that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, we speak different Spanish, but we're we very like we're. Outside of that, we're, we're exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So there was never any like elitism in my house. For example, like my parents never said, "Oh, you know, no hablar español." Like that was, they weren't like that at all. You know, they were like they understood that I was going to be around, you know, th- you know that that culture. And yeah, I was going to pick up, you know, words, and I was going to pick up whatever it was. I mean, I had you know all sorts of you know Mexican friends growing up, so like, yeah, I mean, that was just going to be part of what I was absorbing. But like. I also knew kind of how to code switch. Like when I was at home, I would make it a point to speak castellano as you know as, as much as possible. But then, you know, if I was in school, you know, like one, one of the things that was always that was always kind of interesting for me was like if I was, you know, in a in a new environment and they were like, you know, mexicanos who didn't know that I spoke Spanish and just thought I was a white guy, you know, who just always spoke English, they would speak in Spanish and then I would completely know exactly what they were saying. And like if they saw me like smiling and stuff, like, oh Spanish. I was like, yeah, yeah, I know a little bit. So um it actually became a, a cool, I think, like it like an icebreaker a lot of times because you know, I think there was there was always like this surprise at times to see someone who looks the way that I look, um, uh, being able to communicate in Spanish, understand Spanish. And actually one of the things that it really did for me was I could was understanding the different accents. So that's something that I learned to pick up like really quickly was like, I, I understand the difference between a Mexican accent, to a Cuban accent, to a Puerto Rican accent, to an Argentinian accent, just because you know, you're know you around it. So you're around it and you start to be like, oh, okay, like you, you speak Spanish, but you're from this part of the world, mm. right? Like that sort of thing. So that was, yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, I totally, like, man, I'll tell you what, like growing up, we had, you know, Telemundo and Univision was, was in our house, like we were watching it. <laughs> You know, I think we were watching Sabado Gigante, you know, and and that was a couple of different things. One, is because, you know, it's, it was just nice having the familiarity of Spanish in the house. And two, it's like, you know, we couldn't get anything from Spain on TV, so this was the closest thing that we were getting to something that was familiar, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I, shoot, you know, I remember, you know, my mom watching telenovelas and, you know, get, you know, be, get, but that was good for me because you know, it exposed me more to, to that culture, so it's like you start learning that, like the Mexican culture, for as an example, is a very varied culture. There's a, there, there's layers. There's you know, depending on where you are, you know, in Mexico, you know, the the, the culture is different. The people are a little different. The language is different. So that was a really good exposure, you know, for me growing up. And it just, and and again, it just it broadened my horizons in terms of, you know, okay, you know, there's. There's there's variety in any country you go into. Like a country is not simply one type of person with one type of this. It. It's it. There's a lot there, and and that was good for me to to, to learn at a young age. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was super, you know, appreciative of that.
0: So so when you came to the, I mean, when your parents came, were they? Yeah did they have to sneak in or did they, you know, you know, come in the the way that everyone says, you know, quote unquote, the the (laughs) proper way to come into the U S.
2: Right. You know, it's interesting. So, so my dad, the way he came in was, so there was, so back in, back in the sixties, right. um, Different ranching corporations, different ranching companies in the West, what they were doing was they were going to Spain and they were recruiting young men. To come over to work on the ranch, so which is interesting because now those same companies are now going down to like Peru, you know, in South America, and doing the same thing. So they started with the Spaniards first, interestingly. And so my dad signed a contract. My dad signed a three-year contract with this with this ranching company. And what was so? My dad was twenty-five. He you know, he was living in the village. He was he was helping you know his father. You know, with with you know the, their their little their little farm. My 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 grandfather also made uh, bricks, you know, to build homes and sechas, you know, for for the roof and stuff. And so my dad had never been outside of Spain. I don't think my dad had really ever been outside of like the north, honestly. Um, so when he he came to the United States, I mean, it was just like just culture shock upon culture shock, yeah. right? Like, um. You know, he he didn't speak a word of English. Everything he had ever known about the United States was like what they showed him in the movie, mm-hmm. right? So like he just thought it was, you know, the little illustrator. like everyone's just a cowboy, <laughs> right? Like, you, you, just, you, you know, and because he was living under Franco, right? He, they were living under a dictatorship. There was no freedom of the press, no freedom of speech, no freedom of religion, no freedom of nothing. So whatever you knew about the outside world is what the government lets you know about the outside world. Mm. Right. And whatever you knew about Spanish history is what the government told you. So he, again, it was just a 25 year old guy, you know, with knowing what he knew only because, right, this is what he was told to, to know. Right. And then he comes to America and it's like, like <laughs> it's just different. Right. It's, like, it's interesting because he got to Washington state. And uh, it was February 1969, and the first thing they did was take away his passport. First thing they did, they Dang. took away his passport, yeah, because they wanted to make sure he was going to fill out his contract. They were like, you're here. You're going to do this. You're going you're to complete it. Mm-hmm. And then they, they took him out into you know eastern Washington, and for like four or six months, it was just him, a couple of dogs, several thousand head of sheep and some rifles and that was it he was by himself herding these sheep you know every once in a while you know uh uh, you know a guy would come with the pickup truck and bring him some supplies but you know his first experience in the united states was just like very isolated Mm -hmm. you know just work just work 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 and then he eventually like you know went to northern idaho he was in quarter lane and then montana and then eventually he came down to california uh, because his best friend who he had met in the army back in Spain who ended up being my godfather was in California and he was like, hey California's great. you know the weather's nice like there's a lot of you know a lot of ranches here. So he he took the bus from Montana to California and was funny when he left Montana it had just snowed on the 4th of July. He came to California to the Sacramento Valley. And it was like 110 degrees, <laughs> <So> like <laughs> just like that. Just like here you go, man. This is California. <laughs> and then uh, my mom came on a student visa. That's how she initially uh, came to visit my dad. She came out with one of my dad's sisters because they were um, both in nursing school in, in, in Barcelona at the time. And my mom came on a student visa. And then after that, I think her visa expired, and she. Then they got married. So mm-hmm. at that point, you know, um, yeah. And then, you know, eventually, you know, my, they got their, you know, their green card, you know, and, and that's how it was. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess in one sense they kind of did it legally. I mean, I, 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 it seems like they did, but to be straight up honest, like there were so many Spaniards who came to this country with no, with nothing like no papers, no nothing. They never got anything. Like my dad knew plenty of Spaniards who just walked on in, <laughs> you know, and 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 no and and the thing was like no one would say anything because of the way that they looked, because they just we just kind of blended in. So no like no one was calling them out and saying, like, you know, where's your documentation? Where's your immigration date? But nothing. So yeah, there were plenty, plenty of Spaniards, you know, who were here and just Never, never got, never got their green card, never got their citizenship, just lived their life and, and worked and that was it.
0: Dang. Yeah. So, so back then they were, they were almost giving you like a, they gave you your passport as soon as you signed this contract to come work for this company, they would, they would help you get a passport?
2: Yeah. So they would help you get the passport and then once you got here, then they took it away. That
0: uh-huh. company. So
2: they, 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 they That company, they take it away. The second you got here, they take it away, and they sent it to the Spanish consulate, I think, in San Francisco. And you you had to fill out your contract. That was it. And, you know, my dad's first paycheck, they took that from him to pay for, like, his plane ticket to come to this country. So, like, he didn't make any money for the first, I don't know, like, couple of months. Like, they just, they, they withheld a lot of it. And then, you know, when he did start making a little bit of money, he was sending a lot of it back to the family, right? Because he, my dad came from a very big family. My dad was one of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was helping, for example, like some of his sisters, you know, be able to go to school. You know, he was helping, you know, like uh, his, his parents. You know, I think he helped them like buy their first washing machine, you know, like that sort of thing. Because up until then, like they were literally going to the creek and washing their clothes in the creek.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: you know, and and doing it that way. So yeah, he was, he was very much like, you know, I'm, I'm I'm doing this to, you know, to help out, you know, the family as much as I can. And that's what he was, that's what he did for, you know, for years. That's what he was doing.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. You bring up that like washing. Cause I remember when my parents, uh, they, they always sit here and like, uh, it's funny before they would tell me all these stories that what they would do in Mexico, they had to walk here to do this. They had to go to the, uh, the stream to wash clothes. And when you're living here, you, you really don't, like care much for it you're like yeah yeah whatever like it's different now but then you actually like when you go and visit and you see like what they were doing you're like holy crap you would walk from there all the way here just to go to school and uh no running water in some places no lights no nothing and and it's just amazing and and then it makes sense to like myself and that's why i like other people to go to visit the those type of like places in like, say like Spain, Mexico. So you can see why they wanted to, you know, leave, uh, to right. b- get a better life. So you growing up, like, uh, you, you said you were surrounded by Hispanics and, you know, mm-hmm. different Latinos, different, you know, just different races. So it's a little different yeah. here in like in Idaho falls when I was growing up, we were, it wasn't a lot of us. There were some of us, there wasn't a lot of us, yeah. but there was a lot of, uh, like racism going on just because there mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of us. Uh, yeah. Did you ever experience anything like that over in, in, in California? Uh,
2: you know, I, I personally, like there was never like any like anti-Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there was nothing ever directed at me because I was Spanish. I, however, and this is something that I, I definitely picked up on. I, you know, because I kind of had the ability to kind of go between, you know, the Mexican culture and the American culture. And a lot of times when I was around other Americans, like they would let their guard down and I could they would and I could hear them being racist toward Mexicans. Mm-hmm. And 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 because a lot of them, I guess, you know, they just I'll be like I never really felt fully accepted by the American culture. I never really felt fully accepted by the Mexican culture. And I makes sense because you know, we we're we're a little bit different between the two, right? We didn't fit in in one or the other. And I think that's probably why I was able to kind of go between the two when, you know, when I was you know younger and in school and whatnot, um, you, know, nev- you know, I never, you know, I never personally, I never personally, but I know for example, like my parents, because my parents have accents mm-hmm. like when they speak English, they have an accent. My father has, still has, you know, an accent. My mother has an accent. And I will say that, you know, if, if, if if someone who, who who didn't speak spanish if they were conversing with my parents in english you know i could i could see the body language of that person i could i could i could kind of you know feel the mannerisms i could i could kind of feel like they were looking at my folks and being and, and thinking that they weren't intelligent for example or you know that their accent um you know what was because they had an accent that they were they could, you know, discriminate them in some way, or maybe try to cheat them in some way, or not be fully honest in some way, or speak down to them in some way. So I would say that that's something that I picked on really quick. Was that there's a lot of English-speaking Americans in this country when they hear someone with an accent, regardless of if it's a Spanish accent or you know another type of accent, their first inclination is to think that that person's not intelligent mm-hmm. or that that person. Um, comes from, you know, like an, uh, an impoverished background. That person is educated, right? But you know, and that and that was that was that's what I saw, and it always appalled me because it's like, yo, if you were to speak to my parents directly in Spanish, you would see the level of intelligence that they have. You oh, see yeah. the level of, you know, and that's the thing. It's like you try communicating in your second language and see how you do, right? And and and, and that's something that always kind of upset me was. You are judging them based on the language that they had to learn on their own being in this country. Like, they didn't go to school to learn English, right? They learned it on their own. They picked it up on their own. They learned how to read and write and speak in your language,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and, and and that's the thing. So I saw plenty of, uh, I would say, you know, of discrimination against Mexicans. Absolutely. Absolutely, I saw that. I think what what I felt was that being spoken down to and sometimes being made to feel as a second-class citizen because, you know, my parents had an accent, mm-hmm. you know, because my parents didn't speak maybe, you know, proper English, for example. That's something I definitely saw. That That's something I definitely felt, you know. But yeah, you know, I the discrimination against mexicanos absolutely yeah I mean, no question there was plenty of that and and there still is where i grew up you know because there's still this mentality of you know the the white americans are, are the farmers and the ranchers and the property owners and the mexicanos are just the workers mm-hmm. and so that's that's something that still definitely if you go to northern california that mentality still exists you know not amongst everybody i'm not trying to paint everyone under that same brush but definitely, you know, amongst a lot of folks that mm-hmm. that that still exists, no question.
0: So, you you in high school because um, a lot of us have like uh, our plans, like when are when we are in high school. Like I originally thought I was going to go to college and do this and do that. What did you sure. have like? Uh, what did you want to do while you were in high school? Like, uh, was it go to college? Was it like start a business? What was it?
2: I I definitely wanted to go to college. That was something I always wanted do. I, I felt like I felt I owed first and foremost I owed my parents that I owed them you know advancing my education knowing all the sacrifices they had made everything they had done you know to be able to allow me the opportunity to go to college so that's something I felt like at the, at the end of the you know very least I got to get this degree because I owe them that like I owe them that degree. Um, in, in terms of, you know, what I wanted to do, I kind of kind of went back and forth, you know, for a while in terms of what I wanted to do. You know, first I was thinking, you know, law school and then maybe thinking, you know, doing something, you know, with psychology. And then I ended up, you know, uh, graduating uh, with a degree in political science and history. And, you know, I played around with the idea of law school for a little bit. And then uh, I got into education and actually, you know, taught for a little bit. And then I moved to England for a year um, and I ended up getting a, a, my master's degree in history uh, in London, which was like the dope experience. Like that was so great. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was living on my own, you know, I stayed there a whole year and I didn't come home. I was just there pretty much the whole time. Um, really tough program, like really intense program. Uh, and, and then I got into education, you know, when I got back. So I did for... My, my first career was in education, was, was teaching mm-hmm. um, and, you know, coaching sports and, and doing that sort of thing. You know, that ended up changing once I met my now wife, you know, when I was dating at the time, you know, this, and this kind of opened the door for me to this whole nother way of thinking that I hadn't really considered, right? You know, she, she comes from a different background than I do. Uh, she's actually from Boise, for example. Uh, her parents are both, you know, professionals. Um, have done very well for themselves, and you know, in business and in academia. And you know, she was the one, along with a couple of my very, very close friends, who said, "Hey, the chorizo that your family makes every year is phenomenal. Mm. And if you were to sit down," And make a plan and, and and construct, you know, a business model, so to speak. You could probably do something with this because there's, you know, there in this country, in the United States, and this is true. There's just not a lot of very good Spanish chorizo. There's just not. Mm-hmm. You know, you get some imported from Spain that are pretty good. I'll give them that. They're pretty good. But i had never found anything in this country. That equaled what I remember from Spain or from what my family, what we would make, you know, every winter. So that really, that planted the seed. And I remember, you know, one December I was back in with my folks back in in our hometown and we were making chorizo and I had, you know, I had like this notebook and I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? if I do this and then I do this and then I do this and it just, I kind of started, you know, writing stuff down. I got to do this. I got to do this. So that's what opened the door for me to creating three sisters, artisanal Meats, And it started, I'm not even joking. It just started as an idea on a piece of paper. That's how it started.
0: It's crazy how Um, some of these things start, you know, just like the little, little things.
2: Yeah. You know, and, and it started with, you know, I was, uh, so what I did, that it was, that was like 2015, I was like December 2015. And I remember I reached out to my, my friends and I was like, listen, I'm going to be making 20 Field this year again, like we always do. I'm going to make a little bit more. And if you guys want to buy some, let me know. And I made a list and, and I ended up like, make we made like, I don't know, like 150 pounds of that oh, wow. one quite a bit <laughs> we mean a lot we typically make about 100 and then that winter i remember we did like 150 almost 200 and then i i you know went through the whole process cured out the 20th you know packaged it up and i sent it to my friends and they all loved it right they were like this is you know this is amazing i was like okay if you guys like it then there's something there i was like okay there's something there i can do something with this and that's how, that's what got the ball rolling. Really. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had enough, I had enough positive feedback to be like, okay, you know, I, I think this is something that I, that I can do. You know, this it's, it's going to be hard. It's, I, and of course I didn't realize how hard it was actually <laughs> going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you never know how hard something is until you're in the thick of it. You're oh, like, yeah. man, this is, <laughs> this is, I didn't expect any of this, but you know, the toughest thing was when, when I did, When I left teaching, I left teaching in 2016. At that point, you know, i just gotten married the year before and we just had our first child.
1: Oh,
0: wow.
2: So I left teaching. We were, you know, a year being married, you know, we had a little boy and here I was like leaving my secure, you know, job that, that I was getting a paycheck and benefits and everything was set. And here I was going into one of the hardest industries to get into which i didn't really realize at the time which is the food industry right like food is super hard to get into a b i go into the meat industry which is even harder because of the raw and meat and, and, oh yeah because everything dealing with raw meat is i didn't i mean it's, <laughs> it's 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 crazy right and then c i'm doing it in the san francisco bay area which is one of the most competitive food markets in the country so it's like I honestly didn't realize, like, sincerely, I didn't realize the obstacles that were in front of me. I was just like, here I go. Like, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, when I get in the thick of it, I was like, wow, okay, like, this is, there's some serious challenges here, but, you know, we just got to take it a step at a time. We got to address, you know, each challenge, you know, one step at a time. And from, put it this way, it took from 2016. November 2016 is when I really got started in it to October 2020. October 2020 is when I finally made my first link of dry cured chorizo. Oh, shit. So it took four years. And in that four-year period, okay, I worked. So first and foremost, in order for me to even get the opportunity, I, I had to go, you know, uh, the challenge number one was finding a place, right? It was finding a facility. Like, where am I going to make this in? Because I can't just go into a commercial kitchen. That's not going to work. I can't make it in my parents' you know garage. Like, that's not going to work. So it took a while, but I ended up finding, you know, this this meat company in Richmond that was USDA certified, which is something I was looking for. Because I wanted all those certifications, right? Like, I wanted to have that. And they're like, yeah, well, guess what? We're actually building out a sausage-making plant, a facility, you know, with with what we already have. We're going to have curing rooms. We're going to have all this. I'm like, great, when's it going to open up? And they're like, in about a year. I'm like, cool. Um, He's like, well, I need to learn a whole lot of stuff about this industry. Can I come on board and work? So that's what I did. I ended up working for the meat company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, here I am. Uh, you know, getting up super early, you know, putting on like legit work boots and, you know, work, work clothes and going into a 36 degree, you know, warehouse, huge meat warehouse, working with Mexicanos. That was, that's who I worked with. I worked with Mexicanos day in and day out. And that only just increased my admiration, you know, for them, because a lot of them, you know, uh, some of them were undocumented you know for example they were doing some really hard work like legit hard work and that year actually turned into two years which turned into 28 months so it was 28 months later <laughs> that you know the, the the facility opened up and you know i um i i moved from working in the warehouse to move it to working in the sausage Production facility. So I was making, you know, I would say every day I was making about 500 pounds at least of sausage for, for, for this company that was their own label. And then, and then finally in June of 2018, they let me start making my own chorizo, right? But it was fresh chorizo, so I had to, you know, deal with all the issues that come with a raw product, which is storage distribution. Oh man. Uh, I mean, I could write a book on, on, you know, having to problem solve you know, all that <laughs> stuff, but you know, it, it was, it was good. I mean, I was doing everything by myself, right? So I was making it, I was storing it, I was packaging it, I was delivering it. I was going out and getting my own clients. You know, I ended up, cause I didn't have any employees. I was it. Right. I'm, I'm still there. I don't have any, like, I don't have anybody else doing this. You know, for me. Um, you know, and I went out to, to the Bay Area and Marin County and the East Bay in San Francisco. And I was just going to different little grocery stores and like giving them samples. And then they would bring it in and then I'd have to do tasting. So, like, I'd come into their store and set up my table and cook chorizo and give it out to people and, you know, doing food shows and then going to wineries. And so, I mean, that's how I got the name out. Like, I just, you know, would pack up my car, have a cooler you know, on my table and whatever else. And just like, you know, here we go. So, I mean, like my typical day was I put in a day, you know, full work day, you know, from five in the morning to about 1.30 in the afternoon. And then after one thirty, I was doing my company.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, and then we had a second, then we had a second child in the middle of all this. <laughs> so it's like, here I am. You know, we got two little kids, you know, but, you know, it's just, I, I, I mean, I literally just had to figure everything out on my own, you know? So I look at that experience was like, you know, it's like I got an MBA without getting an MBA,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? Like that's, that's really worse. Cause I had, I was doing all the stuff that like, you'd have to do to start a company, you know, talking about, you know, budgeting and your startup capital and your marketing plan and, you know, expansion and just all this stuff. So that's, that was, tremendous, you know, and then having to do it all by myself, you know, not having, you know, a partner to bounce ideas off of or, so it was a lot of just trial and error, it's like, you know, you try something, it works great, you keep doing it, you try something, it doesn't work, you don't do it anymore, you know, you adjust, you pivot, you figure it out, you know, you take some losses, you take some wins, but it's just the the thing is, you just you, you had to, you just got to keep going, you know, and and so much of that's just mental, right, so much of that honestly is just you mentally have to just discipline yourself to be like, yo, this is hard. This is hard. But if you quit, you will never reap the benefits. You will never see this through. You will like everything that you've done will be will be for nothing if you quit. But if you keep going, even if it takes you longer than you wanted to, at some point, right? If you just keep doing enough of the right things every day and you don't stop, you're going to be successful. Like It's, it's going to happen. And that's kind of the mentality I, I just kept with me. Um, and I'll be honest, a lot of that I got from, you have know, having been an athlete, you know, for as long as I was. Like, you know, I played sports in high school and in college, and then I coached. And it, I just took the mentality of, of being an athlete, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just having that athlete mentality of you, you just can't quit you can't, you just got to keep getting up. Like, it doesn't matter if you, if you win or you lose, you know, you got to have to have the same attitude no matter what you can't get down on yourself. You can't get sad. You can't get, you know, you can get frustrated. Sure. But then you got to work through that. You got yeah, figure, you figure it stay, out. You got to figure it out. Cause if you stay stuck, right. If you just dwell, you're never going to get better. You're never going to progress, you know? And you just always have to have that, that mentality of, of wanting to learn, you know, of, of admitting to yourself, you don't know what you don't know (laughs) to surround yourself with people who do know that stuff and learn from them. And that's what it took. And now, you know, we're as a company where, you know, three sisters, we now sell it online. You know, we have an online store, you know, we sell in brick and mortar here in Idaho and in the Bay area. Um, you know, we, we're we working with a winery back in California that hopefully will open the door for, for more wineries in California. Um, we're starting to talk more with subscription box, you know, companies like the food boxes. Um, you know, we're working with different, you know, caring companies. So we're now at a point where because of what we were able to do and, and pivot during COVID and then coming out of that, and, you know, just just maintaining the quality of our products, uh, you know, we're, we're in a really good position, you know, and, and, and that's something that, you know, I feel like if I if I would have if I would have given in to the negativity, you know, early on and would have given in to um, you just, uh, you know, things are going slow. Things aren't going my way. Um, I'm having to wait too long. <laughs> Excuse me. I wouldn't be in this position. I wouldn't be in a position where now the chess pieces, as we're moving them, are starting to to go the way I want them to go. Mm -hmm. Right. And that and that would be the, the biggest piece of advice I would give to anybody who's starting a business is you gotta be patient. Like you have to. You have to be patient. You gotta make small, attainable goals. You know, even like just make little goals every day. And before you know it. You're going to be knocking those little goals and those little goals are going to turn into bigger goals. It's just, you got to, you just, you you can't, you can't quit. You can't give up even when you think, you know, that it's, it's too much.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people do quit when it, as, as soon as things get a little bit difficult, get a little bit hard right. or, um, you know, it's not going their way. Like you said, uh, they don't see that instant success. That's what a lot of people want. They, they see yeah. somebody with a business and they're like, Oh, I want that. I'm going to start my own company. But then they realize they didn't get to where they're at like that. It happened with yeah. a, a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of effort. We, we like people like ourselves with our own little company, like we go through those days, you know, and like you start questioning things, but you're like, I gotta, I gotta keep, I, I gotta keep grinding. I gotta, gotta keep going. Right. And, you know, I, I like that you bring that up because I, I like to read a lot of, uh, self help books and just all sorts of books. And one common thing with everybody is like things that you said earlier, you uh, surround yourself by the right people. Cause it has a lot to do with, um, you know, your success. If you're hanging around with a bunch of people who have no goals, no, no, no drive, no motivation to you know, become better, then you eventually become that average too. So, you know, I was glad that you brought that up. So I also had a question about COVID. So you said you started selling online. Was that before or after COVID?
2: So that was after. So interestingly, right before COVID hit, I had this whole plan for expanding our fresh production. I was talking with a company down in Fresno that I was going to switch my production down to, and I was going to do... Just really expand our our, our fresh production. And I had all these plans for that, and then COVID hit, and that just do like derailed <laughs> anything I wanted to do with that. So here I was, and I was like, okay, you know, my this plan that I that I put a lot of work and time and effort and energy, um, it just it just kind of blew up. No fault of my own. You got a you got a global pandemic. That's just you know, it's just <laughs> hey. Sometimes stuff happens, right? Like that's the thing in business. Things are going to happen that you have no control over. The only thing you can control is how you react, to it, right? That's all you can control. You can you can control your attitude, and you can control your effort. That's it. Everything else is out of your hands. You gotta kind of make peace with that you know, when you do get into business, you got to make peace with, there's going to be so many things that you can't control. Like you can't control what people think about your product. You can't control that one day, maybe you have a a buyer who just doesn't want to buy from you anymore. Uh, You may not control that there's just people who aren't just going to, they're not going to be into your product anymore. Like those things are going to happen, right? You can't control that, but you can control how you react to that. So I was fortunate in the sense that I was still able to produce and sell in the Bay Area. And for a little bit, you know, when that moment, the first couple months of COVID, when people were like going to the grocery stores and buying a little bunch of stuff and stocking up because they thought, you know, they didn't know how long this thing was going to go on. We were doing really well. (laughs) People were just buying our stuff like that because, you know, they could keep it in the freezer and they were like, this is great. And then, you know, at that point, my wife and I made the decision to move from the Bay Area to Idaho. And there were a lot of factors About that, we wanted to come to Idaho for a while. You know, we wanted to live in Boise. Like I said, my wife's from Boise, but also, you know, quality of life, being able to raise our kids the way we wanted to raise them. And look, as much as I love California, you know, and I'm a Californian, Bay Area is just expensive, man. Like, it just is. Like, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to get into the economics of, of all that, but it's just at the end of the day, you know, it just didn't add up to stay there. It just did it. And it, it broke my heart because, like I said, I've lived in the Bay Area for a long time. Love the Bay Area. I love the East Bay. Like, I lived in Oakland for a long time. I love Oakland. Um, you know, a lot of my dear friends were all there. So, but you, you got to do what's best for the family, right? It's a tough decision, but you do what's best for the family, and you do what's best for everybody. So we came to Boise, and at that point in the summer, you know, uh, the the meat master like the, the charcuterie guy who's running everything back in, in Richmond for me um, I, I just I had a conversation so like look man I really want to do the dry now. I think you know we got to make this transition if there's ever a moment to make the transition away from doing fresh to doing the dry care it's like this is it you got it like if I got to do it now mm-hmm. right because if I don't do it now this is never going to happen and then all the work that I've been putting into it for the last four years is just going to be for naught and he was like, "I'm with you. I love your products. Let's do it." And his name is uh, Tyler. I love Tyler. Tyler's my boy. Uh, there would be no resources without without Tyler Cook. Um, he's actually no longer there. He actually now works uh, for for a company out in in Vermont. But he was he was the guy. He was and and he believed in it. And you know he helped me to you know take our recipe develop it make it work you know the way that i wanted it to work you know as as a as a cure chorizo you know he made sure that all of our products or all of our ingredients were super high integrity ingredients they were clean they were natural it's like if you look at our label our label it's super straightforward there's nothing artificial in our label it's just pork salt you know pepper paprika that's it and, and a lot of us that's how i like I am not going to change this recipe. Like I was very stubborn. I'm like, we're going to make it work the way that my grandparents made it work, the way that my parents have been making it work, the way that my great-great-grandparents made it work. We're going to do that. And he was on board. He was 100% on board. So, you know, we got a batch. Maybe we made a test batch. I sent it out. Huge response. And then, you know, we got our, our website up and running. You know, we completely changed it. So now you can go in there and you can order links from us. And that's it. That's how I've been building it. So from October till now, you know, that's what I, that's how we've been kind of, you know, we made, we made the pivot, Mm -hmm. right? Like we just recognize what the problem was. Like if I keep doing it this one way, I'm going to bankrupt myself. I'm going to lose momentum. It's not going to work. It's going to be too expensive. I'm never going to get, because my goal was always to do the drag. That's all, that's, that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to make the drag. And I just took that, I had that I had that window, right? little small window, mm-hmm. but I took it. I took it. I was like, here we go. like this, I, this is like make or break. like this is either gonna work or it's not gonna work. And you know, it's been fun, but no, I mean, we we made it work. We figured it out. you know, and like I said, now, because of that, you know we're we're you know we're in a really nice upswing. Mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, like the coolest part about this whole experience is, I'm now selling my chorizo back in my hometown. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's it's not like my hometown, hometown, but my home county. So I'm from Calusa County, which is in Northern California, mm-hmm. and there's this great, uh, you know, restaurant delicatessen. Uh, it's called Grandellis, and it's been there, you know, since the mid '70s, and that's like the spot, right? Like the, everyone goes to Grandellis. It's it's like right off of I fives, so like. You get all sorts of people driving up and down I-5. They'll stop there. And you know, just to be able to sell it back home
1: mm-hmm.
2: to people that I know, to people my parents know, people I grew up with, like they now go to Grand Zella's and they buy it. And they're like, hi, this is so good. Like that's been honestly, like that's been the, the coolest part of this whole experience is that like I can sell it to people like that I know. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, that's been probably one of the most like satisfying things and probably one of the most gratifying mm-hmm. and that's been, you know, and just be like, okay, dude, like this is why you stuck it out because now you've got something to show for yourself and, and people back home can enjoy it too. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's been really great.
0: Yeah. So well, I had two questions. Um, uh... Is it like uh, some sort of family recipe that, you know, that you guys it's something that your family does? You know, what makes it so different from other chorizos? And yeah. second, where did the, the name come from?
2: Cool. yeah. So uh, the, the recipe's been so, I'll just back here a little bit. So where we're from, from Leon. Leon is considered in Spain as like the ancestral home of chorizo. Like that's kind of like the birthplace of chorizo. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you you know, that's you travel around Spain, for example. You know, people always remark, "Oh, chorizo de León, jamón de León, cecina uh, like El lomo." Like we do, we do, we do cured meats, right? Like that's what we do, and the reason for that is because you know the winters are dry and super cold, mm-hmm. so it's perfect for curing, you know, meats. And just to do it naturally, it's perfect. The recipe is, I would say, it's mostly from my mother's side of the family. But my father's side had their own recipe as well. It's like, you know, every family there has got a little variation. Yeah. It's got a little twist on it. But it's the same foundation, right? It's pork shoulder, it's paprika, it's salt, pepper. And then, you know, some families do a little this, some families mm-hmm. do a little that. So what I did was I took basically my mother's recipe and a little bit of my dad's twist. And that's what became the recipe. So it's a combination really of my mother's side and my father's side and then on both sides if you go back on both like generations we've been doing this Mm -hmm. like this is generation after generation after generation of 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 my family you know this has been a part of who we are you know for as long back as we as as i know um so that's what my parents brought with them they brought with them the rest and that's what i've been doing since i was four years old making it with them Mm -hmm. right like that's that's the family tradition. The name is a combination of two things. One, uh, my mother is one of three sisters, mm-hmm. right? So that's representing my mother's side of the family. That's how I got, you know, I did that. And then for my father, the first ranch that he worked in when he came to California was called the Three Sisters Ranch. And it's in Calusa County. It's pretty near where I grew up, you know, and I spent some time there as a little kid going up there. So I tried to, with the name, combine my father and my mom together, you know, as, as an homage, Like right? That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to represent what this company is. It's, it's Spain and it's California, right? It's my mom and it's my dad. Um, and that, and that's why I wanted to, you know, to, to name it what I named it.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, and I know you, you said you also started another company. Yeah. Uh, what made you do, like decide to do that as well? Like on top of having your own meat company.
2: Uh, you know, the, what kind of inspired me to do that, and there's a couple of different reasons why you know, I wanted to do that. Um, a lot of it just came from, I had learned so much in this process. So I was like, you know, I feel like now I'm in a position where maybe I could potentially help other people, right? With thinking about finances a little bit differently, you know, talking about, you know, their own, you know, financial goals and budgeting and, how they want to get from point a to point b to point c and and that sort of thing so you know the thing about what i got set up with three sisters what's nice is you know all the manufacturing and all the packaging and all that stuff it's, it's done in california so it left me with some time on my hands so to speak you know because the thing i now have more time to be able to devote to um these other interests you know that that have kind of emerged and you know i when I came to Idaho, you know, what I ended up doing was is I I, uh, I hooked up with this, you know, financial services, risk management company. Uh, I, I started working under, you know, this really, you know, good guy who's been in this for a long time. I started learning from him, you know, helping clients, you know, started, you know, started doing stuff with my own family. And then I took, you know, a series of tests where I got licensed. And then so I opened up my little firm. So it's just me called East End Financial and Risk Management. And I do a couple of different things. So I do, you know, one of the first layers of what I do is like individual, uh, home auto, and, you know, life insurance, right? Second layer I do is uh, small business insurance. So, you know, different things that go into protecting small businesses, whether it's insurance, retirement, um, you know, that sort of thing. Third layer is I work with uh, like agricultural businesses, you know, ranches, farms, country estates. And then last thing is, you know, working with annuities, like indexed annuities, uh, you know, investing. So it kind of took everything that I was kind of already doing in a way, building Three Sisters and made it a little more formal. And what I liked about it was I was taking my old background as a teacher Mm -hmm. right and now I'm like I can teach people these things that I've been learning but also teach them kind of like the inner work these are things that you need to know right so the way I see myself as a risk management agent is I think about the things you don't want to think about Mm -hmm. right and I and I come up with solutions I come up with you know different types of you know ways that we can solve you know whatever issue it is and again it's just taking what I, what I had to teach myself, building three sisters. Cause so much of starting a company is just problem solving, right? It's just figuring stuff out and, and figuring out, you know, does you know, what's my risk involved if I do this, what's my risk involved if I do this, threat? what is my risk if I do this? And that's just something I feel like I got really comfortable with and I liked it. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of enjoyed it. Um, And that's and that's how I got started. And then, you know, through this whole process, what's been cool, you know, I kind of came to this realization of, well, who can I really help here in Idaho? Who is a community that I know that not only needs it but would benefit the most? I was like, oh, the Hispanic community, of course. Mm. Like, there's Hispanics in the state, without question. Like, because I was like, there probably isn't too many people here who are doing what I'm doing who speak Spanish, you know, but are also familiar with the community, familiar with the culture. It's like, that's, that's what I want to start working with. So I got hooked up with the Idaho Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Um, I got hooked up with this uh, really good uh, uh, marketing firm called Connectate who is from uh, Idaho Falls. Mm -hmm. And so now so much of what I'm doing is, is I'm working with, you know, Mexicanos, Latinos, um, you know, and they're, Businesses and and their you know small businesses and their families, and and I love it because again it's just I feel like I'm I'm genuinely helping people who I know benefit from this who need you know these types of services, but I'm also able to teach them you know I'm also able to 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 be like, look this is what you got to know, you know and 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 part of that is also being able to understand, you know their life experience their backgrounds. And I feel like because here in Idaho, for example, you've got a lot of first generation, second generation, you know, Mexicanos and, you know, there's a lot of things that they they, they, they don't know when it comes to finances or it comes to insurance or it comes to, you know, retirement. Some of that's cultural, some of that's, you know, we, they're, they're, they're so focused on just working and building a better life for themselves. They, you know, it's just not part of their, their, their mindset. So, you know, that, that's something that I've, that I've really enjoyed is like, Hey, you know, these are the rules, like in this country, right? There's a set of rules that you play by in order to have upward mobility financially. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like those rules and the way that that game is played, only a few people really know how to play that game. And I want to be able to, you know, help the Latino community here know those rules and play by those rules and become financially successful and become financially independent and build wealth. You know, build that generational wealth that you can pass down to your children and they can pass down to their children because that's how you build wealth. That's how you build, you know, a family legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, is you gotta you gotta get involved and you gotta get involved in in, in you know the game. Right, that's what I call it. this is a game and when you figure out how to play the game that that's when you can you're really building something you know and you're advancing yourself and all that work and sacrifices you've been putting into it you know it's it starts to pay off you you're you're really seeing the rewards of that you know what I'm saying like that's so yeah that, that's
1: yeah, something that's,
2: that's why I got yeah. that,
0: that's yeah. something I'm glad you're, you you're getting into because uh, for example there's a I know a bunch of Hispanics that have questions. They just feel like if they go to like one of these, uh, uh, you know, these corporate firms or something like that, they're not going to get the help that they think that they're going to get, you know, and they're going to pull one over on them or something like that, you know? And, and so they feel more comfortable because there's a lady here who also does something similar and a lot Mm -hmm. of people go to her, but you know, I, I used to, like not think about my financial future, you know, things like that. I would just like blow money on, on, on stupid things. Mm -hmm. And, and then as soon as I started surrounding myself with the right people, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that all completely changed, you know, the way I invest, the way I save, the way I spend money and everything. And I feel that people like they can also benefit from this. You know what I mean? Like with with someone like yourself to help them out. I don't know everything. So I hate it when people come to me and ask me questions uh, because right. I'm like, I don't, I don't know everything I've just done. Like right. this person, Hey, said, try this, do this. You should look into this, read about this, right. learn this. So that's something I'm glad you're doing, especially for the Hispanic community. Cause there's people who have questions. They just don't know where to go. You know, they feel like right. they don't have an option and you're giving right. them that option. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing pretty well in, in, in Boise with that that company, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I started it, I officially got into it in, in, in March mm-hmm. and just been building it. You know, it's, again, grinding, you know, learning, getting out in the community. You know, one, one of the things that I knew was going to be an obstacle from day one was that, you know, in building this network, I'm completely new to voice, right? So a lot of times when, you know, people are starting out in this industry, you know, they typically have a, a built-in network around them. So I had to create that. Like, I had to figure out how to create a community. So like one of you know the first things I did was like I went to the Basque community here in Boise you know, because we have that commonality of you know the Basques are from northern Spain. I'm from northern Spain. so you know see so if we can you know work together and do that. And then you know now recently, like I said, just focusing on uh, more the, the Latino community, the Hispanic community, I actually have quite a bit of clients now that are in Eastern Idaho, oh, yeah? you know, like in Idaho Falls area. So like now I'm, I'm going to be spending a lot more time, you know, traveling that way, which is great. Um, so it's it's growing, you know, it's, it's where, you know, again, uh, I I'm one of those people who realize that, you know, you're not going to build it fast. You got to build it steady, you know, and you got to be patient with it. But, you know, again, I, I, one of the things I feel like I, I bring to the table is that, a, I I, I know pretty well the, what it's like, you know, just like you said, having these questions and not having anyone to go to because you feel like if you go to a particular person, they're going to cheat you out of money. They're going to give you the wrong information. And I feel like what, something that I can do is, you know... I, I, is building those relationships, right? And being like, listen, I know where you are. I know where you want to go. Here's how I can help you. I want to help you, you know, because I have a, like, I, I have a, I am personally invested and I have a personal desire to see Latinos do well in this country, right? I just do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's just because, A, I've seen, the discrimination, you know, I I I've, I've seen the racism and I know full well that without Latinos in the United States, this country would not exist economically. Period and a story, right? If you were to take every last Latino Hispanic and they were to leave, this country would collapse economically. It it would. And my mindset is, well, if this if this community is working as hard as they're working and they are one of the driving factors as to why our country's economy is what it is they deserve to have financial stability they deserve to have financial resources they deserve to have a a, a financial future for themselves so when they retire they have something to retire with they have something to give to their kids they have something to pass along so that's something for me, again, and it just goes back to being an immigrant, being a child of immigrants, growing up around Mexicanos and Latinos. It's just, it's something that I am passionate about. I feel like personally invested, mm-hmm. you know, in that, because I feel like, again, you know, if, if they're, especially, you know, in, in agriculture, in construction, in, you know, different type of service industries, where, where would the United States be without Latinos? Where would it be? Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, that's just that. So, and, and that's why I do what I do. That's why I enjoy doing what I do. And that's why I want to serve, you know, that particular community above, you know, all other communities.
0: Yeah. And w- one thing that really stuck about, stuck out about yourself to me was that you're always constantly learning. Like, instead of just being like, Oh, I'm going to get into this field. You got a job at, under that meat market or that meat company and learned how to do it, you know, learn the ins and outs, what goes on, what you have to do. And then also for your new company, you also worked under a different company. You know, it was only a means mean to an end, you know, and not a lot of people want to put in that work. Not a lot of people want to put in that, those, those hours, like, uh, like, like I mentioned it all the time, people see the end result. They see like my podcast doing well, but they don't see the hours and hours that goes into like editing, uh, you know, uh, reaching out to people getting people on here and then on top of that still trying to live a life have a a media company too as well and they don't see like all the work that that goes into it or what was necessary for you like to to learn uh how the meat market works because it's not like you said it's not easy it's pretty hard so i hope a lot of people listening to this not only go you know and reach out buy some of your meat because i'm going to uh, I'm definitely going to go in and, and cause I want to try this chorizo out. Cause if it's not good, I'm going to message you. I'm going to be like, Hey, what's up? But I okay. doubt that's going to happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I doubt that's going to
0: happen. Cause, uh, I mean, it, it, it's been successful so, so far, you know, and so you're doing something right. Um, so for those people listening, I, I, I want them to take that, take that away from this, like all the hard work that you had to go in, like that you put in to, to get to where you're at, you know, it wasn't, just like, hey, one day I'm going to start a meat company and it's going to start selling. You know, it, it, it didn't happen like that. You put in a lot of time and effort into it. And I'm glad during the whole 2020, it, it's little things like that, that people will make and break them. Like you you decided to pivot because you had to, you know, and you only had a small window. Some people would have said, well, let's just write it out, see what happens, see how long this goes for. And that could have, you know, it could have ruined their business. There's There was a business here that was going to open right before uh, COVID like the whole shutdown and they, they actually had to, I think they filed for bankruptcy right away because they, they, they had to close down. They were in too deep and now they can't even open. Like uh, they got mm-hmm. bills to pay. So, so, so yeah. it's, it's crazy how, you know, companies worked. The, the ones that came out were able to like, you know, thrive, especially like small companies were the ones that were able to pivot, make changes, you know, stay on your toes, you know, like always learning, uh, that's why I'm great. Like I, I'm actually inspired by your story. You know, this is why I like doing stuff like this because you get to know people's story and how it wasn't easy, where they come from, like what they had to do. And, you know, to me, it, it just motivates me to like, you know, like keep doing this, keep hustling. Cause like you said earlier, we, we run into those days where we're just, you know, you feel like, sometimes you question, I'm like, am I doing what I'm like the right thing? Or like, should I keep going? But then you're like, yes, yes, because this is what I love to do. This is what, you know, this is what makes me happy. And kind of like when you, when you mentioned it earlier, you said that you were able to sell your meat at your hometown. You know what I mean? Like me, it's, it's when people reach out to me that I probably seen or like pass by and they're like, they message me and they're like, Hey, I heard this podcast. I'm like, Oh shit. You know, like, appreciate yeah. you listening to it you know like that yeah. uh, we get a lot of people from all over the world uh there's a map right here i don't know if you can see that one right there hold on
1: yeah 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 there it
0: is. so we're like the podcast is listened to in over 44 different countries which That's is awesome. yeah and like i'm like blown away just because yeah. people message me and they're like we love the content we i have like monthly i never thought i would have monthly subscribers like that pay every month to like just right. to donate you know like to to, to me it's really weird but it, it took a lot of work it took a lot of work right. it took a lot of yeah. learning constantly and like things like that but i also want people to try your food out because i'm definitely going to order some uh, <laughs> so where can they go to to get some of your to, some of your meat
2: yeah so our website is three sistersmeats.com so the number three sisters meets Altogether.com. Um, and then, like I said, my, my, uh, here in Idaho, uh, I'm also licensed in California too for, for life and annuities. But in Idaho, hey, if you need someone to, to help, you know, in terms of, you know, financials, East End Financial, uh, easiest way to, I have a website up on that too. Um, just type in Jaime Fernandez, uh, East End Financial, boom, that'll come up. Uh, or you can, can I give out my telephone number? Yeah, go ahead. It's up to you. Well, yeah. So my number is uh, 208-207-9816. Se habla español. Also, it's a, don't be afraid just to call me up and, and speak to me in Spanish. That's I'm here to do it in both languages.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, so like, I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast because me just going in like I just knew a little bit about you and then I get to know a lot more about you, which is like amazing to me. You know what I mean? Like people have yeah. really inspiring stories like yourself, inspiring, motivating, and like where you come from and where your business came from. Like it, it just came from uh, an idea, you know what I mean? And then like, and, and instead of staying working under people, you, yeah, you worked for them for a little bit, you learned the ins and outs. And then all of a sudden you started your own thing, which is, I, I tell people all the time that are into like the, the whole landscaping construction, mm-hmm. they learn it like in and out. They know how to do it. They're amazing at it, but they don't want to start something on their own because they're, they just get comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. So right. I want to thank you for coming on, sharing your story with us. Hopefully, you know, like go reach out, go to his website. I'm going to order some as well. Cause I want to try this chorizo. He made me <laughs> all thinking about it. I'm like, Oh, I love chorizo. I want to try, you know, I want to try, see what yeah. you, you make. So, uh, so be looking forward to my order. I'm I'm, I'm for sure going to order. You do it. you ship it out of, uh, out of Idaho? Okay. Out
2: of, Boise. Okay, yep. out of yeah. Boise.
0: So that's where you do everything. Yeah. And then hopefully yeah. one of these days when I go up to Boise, we can meet up and, you know, have a drink or oh, for sure. do something again. That'd be great. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys on the next one. See you guys. Cool.